Hey everyone, it's your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to the very first episode of Just the Facts. On this show, we're seeking to present some timely issues, topics, trends, technologies, whatever it may be that week, uh, that are immediately applicable to industry professional audiences. And really, unlike our other conversations where we want to dig into a long-form discussion and really lay out a lot of context and a lot of framing of important issues, this is going to be more getting to the basics, delivering you some actionable insights around what is this mystery trend, mystery technology, or confusing legislation in our industry? How should we maneuver it, and how is it applicable to me, the industry professional? So let's go ahead and jump in. For today's first episode of Just the Facts, we are going to be exploring the Packers and Stockyards Act. Reason being, in Biden's new antitrust executive orders, which target anti-competitive practices in agriculture, the administration has put an emphasis on the Packers and Stockyards Act as one of the key laws that will be revised and enforced to help protect farmers' and growers' interests. So, on this episode of Just the Facts, we're going to explore the what and the why behind the PSA and how it applies to agriculture industry professionals in today's industry context. So here to give us some perspective, we're joined by Mr. Hayden Ballard. He's an attorney with the Utah Public Lands Policy Coordinating Office. Hayden, great to have you on. How you doing? Hey, thank you, Daniel. No, it's a pleasure. I uh, Like we mentioned earlier, uh, we were talking before the show, I grew up in the cattle industry. And, uh, you know, so the issues that face these ranchers, um, you know, it's something that hits close to home for me. So I'm glad we get to talk about it for a little bit today. Absolutely. And I appreciate you giving us your time on Just the Facts. So let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to start by laying out the basics. So first question, what is the purpose of the Packers and Stockyards Act? So the the, the broad kind of general purpose of the Packers and Stockyards Act um, is to prevent anti-competitive practices uh, in the meatpacking industry. And to, you know, kind of, it's a, really at its core, it's an antitrust um, statute. And so it, like I said, protects against anti-competitive practices and also helps to, um, you know, kind of protect the free trade and commerce, um, for producers as well in the beef, chicken and hog industries. I know the PSA has a pretty long legacy. Uh, can you give us some info on when it was created and how the context of the time it was created in, how that defined its structure? You bet. So this is where I got to be careful. I can get long-winded because uh, I love history. <laughs> love um, it. But uh, yeah, so the Packers and Stockyards Act was originally passed in 1921, um, so 100 years ago. And the history that led to its passage really is kind of a 30-year history um, that surrounds the development of the beef cattle industry in America. Um, if you recall from your history classes, after the Civil War ended in 1865, there's this huge demand for beef. Um, in the uh, in the ever industrializing north, and so the huge ranches that had developed kind of further west had to get their beef to market somehow. So you had these huge cattle drives from you know Texas um, along famous trails like you know the Chisholm Trail, the Goodnight Loving Trail, up to these cow towns in Kansas. You know, think uh, Dodge City or Abilene, um, where they would sell their cows uh, to buyers or dealers, you know, brokers who would put the cows, you know, they put these steers on the rails and they'd ship them east um, to some big stockyards like in Kansas City. And uh, them steers would again be bought and sold, um, you know, usually the packers, and then they'd be railed further east, you know, to, 
you know, kind of some packing centers like Chicago, for example. And so what happened was, is there was a lot of moving parts to make this infrastructure work. And the packing company saw this as inefficient and cutting into their bottom dollar. So they basically started either buying up segments of the industry or, um, you know, through some backdoor deals, you know, tried to, you know, kind of create some better deals for themselves, either whether it's the shippers, whether it's their refrigeration, the storage, what have you. So they consolidated the industry into five companies and essentially kind of had some non-compete agreements and some price fixing that was going on between the five companies to ensure this control stayed with them. Um, so Congress launched an investigation to look at this consolidation in 1888 and again in 1917. Um, and so what came back was this report that absolutely the market was consolidated, producers were suffering for it, um, the packers were driving up the price of what consumers were paying for beef and driving down the prices that the producers were getting paid for their beef. Um, and so Congress passed the Packers and Stockyards Act in 1921 to, to try and prevent this situation from ever happening again. Appreciate all that context. You definitely know your history there. Uh, so over the course of its lifetime now, almost 100 years, or actually exactly 100 years of being a law, uh, how has it been used? What are some of the key ways it's been used and to what effect? So some of the, the key ways, um, and maybe an example would be the best way to kind of answer this question. There's there's a couple of main provisions in the act. Um that protect kind of the, the little man, if you will, um, you know, kind of the smaller family type um, beef producer. And, and like I said, the act applies to the poultry and hog industries as well. But from my background, my education, I kind of understand the beef industry a little bit better. So that's usually where my, a lot of my anecdotes come from. Um, but for instance, in 2019, um, there was a, a sale barn, an auction house uh, that went bankrupt in Plainville, Kansas. And so they went bankrupt. And so a lot of the a lot of the sellers of livestock were really worried about how do we um, you know, how are we going to get paid? And so there are various trust provisions within the act that ensure that the auction has sufficient funds um, to pay out to those sellers. So that way, the little man always gets paid, um, you know, when he goes and sells his beef. So that's one of the key ways it's been used recently is, you know, kind of that statutory trust that's created for the benefit of beef producers. So let's take some of that history and apply it to today's context and today's agricultural industry. So just in general, how would the Packers and Stockyards Act be applied in practice today to address anti-competitive trends in agriculture, just kind of in general? Absolutely. So the Packers and Stockyards Act is it's under the domain of the U.S. Department of Agriculture um, and is administered by the Grain Inspection and Packers and Stockyards Administration, um, which is a part of the Agricultural Marketing Service. But anyway, so it's an agency within the USDA. And if a producer, whether it's beef, poultry or hogs, feels that they have been subjected to any kind of, you know, anti-competitive practice, um, any kind of, you know, monopolistic um you know, devices, then there's two ways that, you know, the producer can kind of look after their interests. They can either take that directly to GYPSA, 
uh, the agency and the agency can bring an action against the, you know, the packer or the, you know, the dealer, whoever it is, is being alleged, um, violated the act. Um, and then the agency can bring charges or an investigation, or, uh, if you're a producer and you feel like you've been subject to these practices, you can bring an independent lawsuit, um, under the, under the Packers and Stockyards Act, which gives you that kind of that gateway to court. Um, but that's a, that's an uphill battle. Um, just because of some other issues, which we can get into later if you'd like. Well, now just to offer some, I guess, actionable advice or maybe strategies for how to get use of some of the channels this act provides, how should today's farmers, growers, or producers, if they want to log something through the act or they want to try to take advantage of those channels, how should they leverage uh, some of those channels that the PSA provides? You know, um, probably one of the best things that you can do um, is to, you know, stay involved with your local um, livestock associations. I know, you know, sometimes it's a lot easier for, um, you know, an association to bring an action on your behalf than it is to try and do it on your own. Um, you know, and that's just kind of the reality of it. And so in a lot of these uh, organizations, I won't name any, but there's, you know, there's a ton of them. And if you're in the industry, um, you know who your, you know, who your state organization is, who the national organizations are you know, work with them because they have lobbyists, they have lawyers, um, and, you know, you can go to them and they can really help you out. But, um, yeah, sometimes there's strength in numbers. All right, Hayden, thanks for all your insights so far. I want to wrap this episode of Just the Facts with a little FAQ lightning round. As an attorney, uh, you get hit with a lot of questions and, uh, you know, general confusion around different specific aspects of the act. So we spoke before the program on some of those core FAQs. I'm going to throw them your way now. So first question here, does the PSA also protect sellers as well as farmers and growers, you know, sellers of cattle, for example, yes, no, and to what effect? Absolutely. So I kind of alluded to this earlier uh, with the Plainville, Kansas bankruptcy. Um, and so, you know, I guess diving into that a little bit more, that you know, that's a big concern for producers. Um, they get paid, especially beef producers, you get paid once a year. And that's when you go and you sell your calves if you're a cow-calf producer, um, you know, or, or when you sell your steers if you're a, you know, a background or a feedlot. And so ensuring that you get paid for that product is important. And so um, absolutely, the Packers and Stockyards Act has a couple of trust provisions um, that ensure that no matter what, if I sell cattle, if I'm a feedlot and I sell cattle to the packing houses, um, that there's a trust account there that um, it's created by the statute. So if for some reason there's an insolvency issue, um, that trust account will pay me the value of my cattle. And same thing if I'm a smaller producer selling through an auction house, you know, a livestock market, um, there's a custodial account there for my behalf. Um, so that way, you know, no matter what, if I sell cattle, you know, I, I can make it one more year because I got paid that year. Now, I know there's another rule within the PSA called the prompt payment rule. Uh, I know there's some general confusion around that. Can you give us a quick breakdown on how the prompt payment rule works in practice? Absolutely. So the prompt payment rule says, that um, if you are a seller, the cattle um, or livestock, you know, again, going back to poultry and hogs, um, if I sell cattle to a packer or through a livestock market, um, they have to remit payment to me by the end of the next business day. Um, 
unless there is some kind of waiver of that prompt payment rules through a written agreement uh, between me as a seller and uh, and the buyer. Um, but if there's no written agreement waiving that rule, then under the statute, they have to remit payment within one business day. So just kind of, again, ensuring that our producers, you know, are uh, are taking home what they're owed after they're, you know, we only get paid once a year. So it's important to get paid. Got to cash that check. Absolutely. All right. Last main FAQ for you, Hayden. Uh, part of the act is protecting farmers, growers, and producers from unfair, unjustly discriminatory, or deceptive practices. Now that is language directly from the act. Does the act define what those metrics mean in practice? Yes, no, and to what effect? Right. So that's actually one of the shortcomings of the PSA um, is that those words are not defined. And so for the last hundred years, that has been the subject of litigation. And, you know, and we've kind of through some case law, we've gotten, gotten some loose definitions of what that means. Um, but the problem is, is what is, you know, unfair, unjustly discriminatory or deceptive is still kind of up in the air. And so um, that's actually one of the things kind of bringing this current. Um, that's actually one of the things that the Biden administration's executive order is looking at um, is kind of how do we look at this to prevent abuses? Because in short, what happens? Um, because of this loose definition and including, there's another section that comes right after that section um, where it talks about undue or unreasonable preferences given. And that's also not defined. And so what happens is, is if I'm a grower um, or if I'm a producer and I feel that there has been something that is, you know, unduly discriminatory um, or prejudiced um, or unfair, I have to be able to show that there's an industry-wide harm for me to be, you know, made whole for there to be any kind of, um, you know, remedial action. And so the Biden administration's executive order is looking at saying, well, instead of an industry-wide harm to show that undue preference or that unfair treatment, you can now show an individual harm to invoke the Packers and Stockyards Act. So um, interesting issues we go forward. Definitely. And like you mentioned, with the Biden administration's recent move to try to redefine uh, the impact and language around the PSA, I'm sure there will be uh, plenty of follow-ups here. So we'll definitely keep you in mind for some future context on how the PSA is being applied and how it's changing. Till then, Hayden Ballard, attorney at the Utah Public Lands Policy Coordinating Office. Thank you so much for your insights today on Just the Facts. Uh, and if folks want to reach out to you for any further information, advice, how can they get in touch? Um, you know, uh, email is probably the best way to catch me anymore. I mean, uh, I was born about 100 years too late, but I've had to learn <laughs> how to use technology. But, um, you know, probably the best way, my email is uh, my full name, Hayden Ballard at protonmail.com. So. Perfect. Hayden, thanks so much for your time. We'll chat again soon. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm.